my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wealth. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at River.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. Over the last five years, the Bitcoin Conference has become the world's largest gathering of Bitcoiners. From breaking announcements and international media coverage to countless meaningful talks by thought leaders and industry innovators, we are excited to continue our drive for global hyper-Bitcoinization. From July 25th to the 27th, 2024, we'll be taking the Bitcoin Conference to the city of music and freedom, Nashville, Tennessee. Join thousands of attendees for countless opportunities to learn, engage, and network across three days of pure Bitcoin signal. Get your tickets now for the best price at b.tc forward slash conference. You are not going to want to miss what Nashville has in store. All right. Looks like Jamie and Mark are here. Yep. How's it going, everyone? How's it going, Shinobi? How's it going, Mark? How's it going, Jamie? Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Good afternoon, everybody. What's going on? Uh, things taking me by complete surprise, at least. So, yeah, I guess, uh, hopefully we get some other speakers with some relevant experience and information popping in soon, but, uh, guess, uh, we should just get rolling now. Uh, so yeah, uh, Jamie, if you want to kind of just break down like the whole dynamic going on here constitutionally. Uh, with the second term, because th- this kind of took me completely by surprise when you approached me with this. I, I had no idea this was part of the the legal dynamics down there with him going for a second term. For sure. Thanks, Shinobi. Uh, Shinobi thanks, Mark uh, and Bitcoin Magazine. Um, uh, yeah, so I um, wrote an article and um, and it got published today and it basically highlights that uh, Naib Bukele um, is likely to step down, um, if not this week, um, you know, possibly very soon in order for him to run as a presidential candidate in February 4th of 2024. And um, and so I, I did write um, about a year, maybe a little bit over a year ago on this, and, um, and, and I go in that uh, article in depth as to all the legal kind of uh, requirements in, in, in terms of how this is possible because for a long time it had been widely understood that presidents in El Salvador were limited to one five-year term. And this whole thing came about because Bukele's opposition um, wanted to make sure that he didn't go for a second term. In some, in within the constitution, there is a provision that says that anybody who campaigns or advocates for the sitting president to immediately reelect themselves is in violation of the constitution and loses their rights as a citizenship. So the opposition sued this person on those grounds and, uh, and essentially it created a, a constitutional condition for, for the Supreme Court to, to take that into consideration. Because um, as, a, as a matter of um, priority, anytime you have a charge of that nature where a citizen is about to lose 
or to have their rights as a citizen suspended, it becomes of almost immediate priority. And so they took that and they looked at the body of jurisprudence and they looked at the constitution, the law, the, the body of, 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 uh, of what had been written. And, um, and it looked at it from a literal term as well as um, you know, the spirit of, of the text. And it concluded that no, this citizen didn't actually lose their rights because there is a technical possibility, given the way that the Constitution is written, that the sitting president could run for a second term. And they outlined what that was. And, um, and therefore, you know, a common person could use the word re-election, you know, to express their desires. Furthermore, a citizen can actually express f their free speech and, and, and have their political desires and aspirations be known without losing their rights. And they made the ruling that here's what how it could happen here's how a sitting president could run for a second term and it sort of detailed everything and here's where where bukele stepping down comes in they outline they they outlined that the sitting president could run for a second term provided that he's not a sitting president while a candidate and he does that Six and he steps vacates, vac uh, steps down from the position six months prior to the start of the next term, which is June 1st of 2024. And so this is something that uh, I wrote about, yeah, over a year ago now, and that you know, but has been very quiet up until recently because there's some crucial deadlines. The registration deadline is on October 26, by which Bukele has to register in order to become a candidate. He actually said that he would do that on the 24th, which is tomorrow. So some speculate that he could step down as early as today or tomorrow. There's also another option, which is that he could register and this is where, where sort of the conundrum comes in, that he could register today or tomorrow um, or before the deadline, which is on the 26th, and still remain a president. And then this is where there's some points of disagreement and discussion because some people say, well, no, he, he can't do that because he has to already be away from the presidency while he, he registers but the, the other possibility, which I, I outline on my latest article, is that he could register and he could be given a provisional registration as a candidate, provided that he does step down by November 30th. So he would remain in the presidency until November 30th, but then he absolutely must step down by then in order to be a president as per prescribed by the Supreme Court ruling. And so this is kind of what brings us to today where, you know, we can within hours, days, or possibly weeks, if we, if he does wait until November 30th, um, be looking at a situation where Naib Bukele is no longer the president of, of El Salvador and why, why that worries so many people is because he will be away from the, from the office at that point to run as, as a candidate. We don't really know who's going to be the caretaker. And given that it's Latin America, <laughs> you know, uh, stranger things than this have happened. And um, so it's, it could be a precarious situation. Why this is also important for Bitcoiners is because, you know, Bukele has basically uh, put 
Bitcoin as front and center as part of the economic and the image recovery of El Salvador as a as a destination for tourism, investment, and so on. And so that there's a few things that kind of we we still don't know that offer a lot of pause that you know make me for for one uncertain about the future and 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 hope for the best but definitely by november 30th if bukele follows the prescribed um steps by the supreme court he will have to step down as a candidate and so that's that's kind of where things are at and um and yeah it's going to be an interesting six months um to see what happens and um and definitely um i'll be paying attention so yeah, yeah that was I mean, a- <laughs> sorry Mark. no i was just gonna say that was uh, yeah, an amazing recap um really appreciate it um yeah not really something i've heard many people talk about or report on um obviously there's a lot of you know just in general speculation um but it does seem like there's kind of those two options outside of just not running again, um, which would be to step down before the deadline and register or, you know, do this, um, you know, register and then step down by, you know, the end of November. Um, obviously, this is unprecedented, but do you have any sort of inkling or leaning of, of, of which way that uh, you suspect this would go or what would be the, uh, the more, um, you know, fruitful uh, venture? So, you know, things are changing fast and they've been quite fluid since I wrote the article. And even within the last 12 hours, talking to people on the ground. And actually, when I wrote my first article in doing my research, I actually befriended one of the authors of the Constitution. His name is Arturo Mendes Azar. And um, he's a very smart lawyer and you know he's um and and he's actually one the the only person who has spoken out on this and and basically called out every single thing how it's going to happen and he has peers who are part of that authorship of um of, of the constitution and and um and what happened is that um you know in 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 talking to him um he uh he, he kind of uh, um, alluded, and, and as well as some some journalists in El Salvador, to to the potential that that he may remain on the seat until November 30th. That um, the Supreme Court um, their ruling didn't really indicate that he had to step down before he registered. Their ruling just stipulated that he could not be a candidate uh, if it was within those six months prior to the start of the, the next um, to the next term, which begins on June 1st. So, so I'm getting the sense that it's, it's going to be that. And, um, but also, you know, one of the things that, that also um, according to, Mendes Azar has to happen is that he has to be exonerated by the legislative assembly. He he, um, the legislative assembly presumably, according to you know his opinion, uh, would call a special sitting, a special session, where they would uh, vote on this, and they they could uh, vote on it. And exonerate him, giving him a special license to step down um, and run as a candidate, which, by the way, would require a three-quarter vote by the assembly, which I believe he will get. His his parties, uh, Nuevas Ideas or New Ideas, uh, don't have a three-quarters majority, but I think that they have en- enough allies uh, that would require that three quarters vote and then uh he would get that special permission and then the the whole 
thing about it is that he humbles himself no, uh, to basically a citizen status. He's no longer the president and he can't leverage the government machinery to campaign or to gain a, an unfair advantage over the other candidates. And thereby, the citizenship of El Salvador has the ability to evaluate the candidates, um, you know, as commoners, as plebs, if you will, you know, and, and, and so, so based on that, I think that, you know, I thought that he would step down today or, or tomorrow before the registration deadline on the 26th, but I'm leaning towards him going all the way to November 30th between now and then a special session of the legislative assembly would be called and voted on to give uh, Bukele that special permission. Yeah. So like th this is something that's not because of that entirely in his control. Like he actually needs an approval from a majority of government in order to even start this process. So like that whole aspect of it is kind of a, a catch 22 from my point of view. And, you know, I, I'm not really familiar with any politician in El Salvador aside from Bukele himself. So one of the things I'm kind of concerned here with is the dynamic with all of the policies he started and the willingness of people to actually follow through. I mean, <clears throat> that is a completely different country than it was two years ago um, to the point like the, the recent, um, you know, deal with Google to start building data centers down there in the wake of all the other crackdowns on gang activity. Like that's like some doors other than Bitcoin are starting to open in terms of positive um, or in terms of positive economic opportunities for the country. So like, is there actually like enough support and people who are going to be willing to, you know, stick out his Bitcoin policies or like, what are the odds that we might see like momentum or desire to kind of walk some of that back to say, get on better terms with the IMF or capitalize on more opportunities like the one with Google that just aren't related to Bitcoin as a, a way to kind of hedge your bets? Well, I would say that I think that uh, whoever steps into the role or whoever um, either, and this is what's unclear to me, if, if, if President Bukele assigns uh, a, a caretaker or if the Legislative Assembly assigns a caretaker, but the key word there is caretaker, right? Uh, you know, a caretaker really doesn't have the mandate to carry out their own agenda. They're basically just making sure that uh, the current policies are carried through, that there's no changes, that the, the boat's not rocked too hard, um, unless, you know, obviously unexpected situations happen, you know, they has to have the, I guess, the leadership and the foresight to, to take some of those situa situations uh, and, and act on them. Uh, but, but really, I think that, that the role of whoever steps in is going to be one of just keeping the lights on, right? So making sure that uh, the things are already moving, get done, and things that, that are working get done right but you know you you never know um so i don't think that there is any risk in the next six months to actually um um whoever gets appointed to 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 do many things but at the same time you know you're gonna have six months salvadorians are gonna have six months in which bukele is not the president and um and obviously, um, you know, there will be a campaign and, um, you know, there will, there will be some ideas discussed and, and a platform. And I think most people's focus will be really on that, on that election, right? So, but from my perspective, I think it's, it's more concerning about 
some of the shenanigans that um, that the opposition might try to pull against him uh, while he's not on office, then the caretaker doing things that are outside of what the mandate uh, is for Bukele. And, and by the way, you know, something that I think I've mentioned to you, uh, Shinobi, in, in, in other spaces, but I, I don't think I've ever wrote on, on it, but Bukele is actually uh, following uh, the, it's called Plan Cuscatlan. It's Cuscatlan is actually the, the, um, the original name of El Salvador. And, um, and it's, it's, um, they're following that plan. And in that plan was drafted with the ideas of, um, he started a process by which he invited all kinds of policy issues and policy ideas to include as part of the plan, right? It's quite ambitious. And he invited, uh, the Salvadoran diaspora and, um, and basically, he's following all of the actions in that plan. Now, it became quite clear that that plan was not executable if you don't have the Legislative Assembly support. And for three years of his five-year term, he actually didn't because the Legislative Assembly was essentially made up of people who were against him. He had like no allies, maybe a few of the deputies in there. But other than that, he had no allies until about a year and a half, two years ago, the new assembly got elected. That's when the Bitcoin law came in. That's when a lot of the security measures started to, to be implemented. And that's when the country really began to, to improve. So the plan Cuscatlan is something that could only be executed if the, the legislative assembly could allot budgets, could pass policy and laws and regulation initiatives and so he's following that and i think it's it's um it's really uh essential that you know that plan gets carried through and um and and we and when we think about that plan that plan is not complete and so you know you're gonna need definitely another uh second term of bukele as president as well as um, a couple of terms of the uh, Legislative Assembly to carry out that plan. That plan never called for Bitcoin specifically as a, as a policy initiative, but it did call for um, revitalization of the economic uh, conditions in El Salvador, which, you know, Google setting up data centers and transforming their, uh, their government um, um, digital capacity is is you know not really spelled out that Google would do it but definitely modernizing government modernizing health which are some of the and education which are some of the things that have um, uh, been started it also calls for the revitalization of the coastal zones like El Sonte by building highways and so on as well as the development of La Unión which is where Bitcoin City is going to be, because it's one of the most impoverished and underdeveloped um, departments. It's kind of like a province or a state in El Salvador. And so, you know, a lot of people think that the Bitcoin City was a fly-by-night idea, that, but, but it's actually part of the plan. And, and again, it's, it wasn't christened as Bitcoin City, but the development of, of the coastal zone of, of, of El Salvador, as well as the Department of La Union, uh, as being um, kind of a capstone, right? So, and if you think of a capstone, it's, it's, it's kind of like what you do at the end. So, you know, people uh, impatiently wanting to see Bitcoin City built today are, are probably going to have to wait a little bit longer because you don't build city in a day it takes takes several days but but essentially yes i mean uh, you know the, there is a plan to be carried through and and while the elections are going on i think you're probably gonna go uh you're probably gonna hear locally about that plan being reemerged or, or things that are have not been uh, conquered or, or achieved in that plan 
as part of the attack, but also as part of the campaign, because, you know, it's, it was an ambitious plan that, that takes some years. And I think prominently, the one thing that people will remember and know and live are the improvements in security. I think it's undeniable. I mean, for, for myself, as a Salvadoran who's been there before and after, like the change is palpable. Like you can, it's, it's night and day. It's, I mean, you, you'd be crazy to go out some places during the evenings and today you, you can, uh, th th there's like noticeable improvements. And it's one thing for me to say that as a, as a returning Salvadorian, it's a completely different thing to live it by the people who are there 200, uh, 365 days a year and are there and, and live there because uh, the, the extortion has ended. The, the sadness, the, the fear has ended. And I think that when elections come, you know, and I don't know who told me this once upon a time, but really voters go into the ballot box with really three ideas in mind. What does these candidates stand for, right? And for, um, and really, it's really one uh, idea. What does is, what is he or she stand for? And for most Salvadorians, they'll go in there and they'll think Bukele stands for security and peace. And put on top of that economic development, put on top of that infrastructure development. He just opened up a new hydroelectric dam. So, you know, put energy security on top of that. You know, that there's a myriad of other things that people are going to remember when they go into the ballot box. And then also think about, uh, well, what, what are the other guys doing, right? And, and by the way, Bitcoin you know, a, lo a lot of people will think, oh, well, you know, Bitcoin's a failure in El Salvador because everybody doesn't use it. If you were to talk to the average person in El Salvador about Bitcoin, yeah, maybe it's not something that they use every day, but they have positive views on it about the future. And they all believe that it's something that that will um, and is already um benefiting the country right um by way of uh, inviting bitcoin tourists as well as um by way of like they just really do feel like the future is a future where um bitcoin is is the superior form of money right it's just they might not be ready for it there's a lot of education that comes um attached with it right so well i mean my concern is that you know, going forward, obviously, this this is essentially just seeing sooner than maybe most people would expect the inevitable point where, like, Bukele isn't going to just stay in power forever. So eventually, we have to see, like, are other players in government going to carry forward what he started? And what what I kind of see, you know, potential for is all of these other, you know, economic development plans. Like, you know, the fact that uh, they paid off their bonds and managed the budget properly to do that, that they're getting investments from companies like Google. Like all, all of these are things that you can bring to voters and kind of go, we can do that without Bitcoin. Like what, what is so pivotal and core in us accomplishing these goals? that only Bitcoin can do it. And I, I see the potential, you know, for dynamics to shift where, yes, politicians in general will have to cater and follow through in a lot of that. Like, that's what people want now, that they actually can directly experience that safety and those changes. But you might be able to just kind of go, well, like, how much does Bitcoin really have to do with that? Like if we can clear up headaches internationally or like relationships with the IMF, like, is that worth maybe letting Bitcoin fall to the wayside and we'll just keep doing these things without it? I think this is where new leaders are going to have to be tested, right? And, and this is where uh, Bitcoin has to mean 
more to the general population than it does now uh, to resist uh, that temptation. Because I think that uh, Bukele, uh, what happens is that he's he's a visionary. He's a he's a disruptor. He's he's an innovator. A, you know, we see innovators and disruptors most of the time in technology, but uh, he's a disruptor in politics, right? And so the kind of leader that um, that he's surrounding himself is and is being mentored by him is is really getting the idea from you know his example that you do have to be brave, you have to think outside the box, you you're gonna rock the boat, uh, and um, and you know in order to get ready, uh, I guess for future leadership. Um, you're you're gonna have to be willing to resist some of these temptations. Now I can tell you, and I don't know this with a great degree of certainty, other than I just feel like your minister of finance has to be the main guy that kind of resists a lot of that pressure, because because Bukele is not like in a lot of these IMF negotiations or in in a, you know like obviously he'll. He'll make the final decision, whatever. But the guy, and, and I would say, like, you know, I don't want to speak about, like, who is going to eventually um, succeed Bukele, but there's a lot of very capable names. But the one that's top of mind for me right now is Alejandro Celaya, which is the, uh, the Minister of Finance. The guy's a genius. I mean, like the whole repayment of, of the bonds that were due, like it, it, the guy's top notch. He understands the markets. He understands how, how the markets work. Um, he understands how countries have to play in that sandbox. And he understands Bitcoin. And I think that, um, you know, he may not necessarily want the job. But, you know, if I'm the guy five years down the road trying to succeed Bukele, I want Salaya to be my vice president. I want Salaya to be definitely have a major role in it, right? The success of Bukele is not just himself and his leadership. Well, that is definitely, and I think Stacy Herbert says that quite a lot. He's like, he's one and out hundred years type of leader, right? And I, I do believe he does have some special qualities and charisma and, and foresight, definitely. His success comes from he from who he surrounds himself by. He's attracted many people that have basically have had the option to take lucrative jobs, either leave the country for some other jobs in the states or europe but they've chosen to remain or even uh, have lucrative enterprises in the country have chosen to remain uh, i said salaya was one of them but also the president of the legislative assembly ernesto castro the minister of health fran alavi the minister uh, the minister um uh of uh of, of policing uh via toro um, the uh, the commander and uh, the 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 commander general for the for the army Merino Monroy, the vice president of the uh, legislative assembly Suezi Callejas. I mean, I could go on. These mean these names won't mean a lot to you right now, but I just look at their performances and their influence in, in policy making, and um, and how that's become fruitful. For things like the digital law, for things like um, uh, having tax incentives for tech companies to set up in El Salvador, which is what brought Google, right? It, it, we have to kind of almost uh, think about how leaders don't come up with every idea. Leaders just get everybody who's smart in a room and say, what are your ideas and what can we implement here? And I think that that's what you're seeing. And I think the type of 
person who's attracted to these type of teams, I think will eventually end up being a good successor. And so that that's that's kind of where where my thought goes uh, when we think about um, a future without Bukele, right? And, and and to that end, I you know I, it gives me a little bit of comfort knowing that you know he surrounded himself by excellent, intelligent, and I think most importantly, I feel people with good intentions and, and, and good faith, right? Uh, people who want the best for their country, which is, you know, my hope that the caretaker um, will, uh, will continue that throughout these six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the big, you know, aspects of this that you brought up, if I understood it correctly, really kind of ties into a lot of this other people and other politicians kind of needing to stand up to outside pressure themselves. But um, like during the candidacy, like you said, he's not going to have any privileges as a politician or any kind of security. Like he's just going to be himself on his own and what he provides for himself. Like, do you think that that is any type of realistic concern, given the nefarious ways countries like the U.S. like to interfere with politics down in Central and South America? You know, that that is a concern, like to me. And I'll, I'll tell you, the, the one thing is that when when I was last in El Salvador, I was um, I was coming back late from. um a family gathering that was outside of San Salvador. And I saw a big convoy of like suburbans and motorcycles go by. And obviously it, it became clear to me that that was the uh, kind of like the, the presidential Peloton, you know, <laughs> the, the, the security detail that he has is, uh, and a lot of people criticize him for it. It's like it, it, because their uh, their criticism is like, well, if El Salvador is the safest country in Latin America, what why does he need a security detail that's almost exaggerated, right? But I think the the security detail warrants um, uh, that type of uh, that type of security because he's rocked the boat. He's ro- like, especially in El Salvador, the oligarchy, the people who have always been in charge. Which, by the way. I'm told by by a lot of people who are close to to these oligarchs in El Salvador is that now that the country's more secure, they're even making money. And, you know, the thing that pisses them off more than making than than not making money, which they are making money, is that they're not in power and they're willing to sacrifice the money just to be in power. Right. But so he's pissed some of these people off so much that he does warrant, um, you know, this level of security. And so, so I think, um, you know, if I was, you know, the legislative assembly at this point, I would try to pass either a, you know, um, some sort of a provision uh, to, you know, protect uh, the, <laughs> all the candidates. Because, yeah, you, why not? You know, why not give all the potential runners a level of dignified security right and so I, I you know that would be the one suggestion i would make because that is a concern to me is that you know but but i do think that if even if that doesn't come from the legislative assembly i think that um that it, you know i think that um his team would uh take it upon themselves to hire um a really good security detail, um, which, you know, would be comparable to a presidential security detail for for those six months in, in which he's not the, the president, right? Obviously, I don't know how this is all going to play out. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that's a moot point because that's all sort of like taken care of. But definitely, I think that um, somebody like uh, Bukele d- d- deserves like the utmost security um, because he he's he's really pissed off a lot of people ironically by doing good things 
I think Shinobi uh, dropped off, uh, Mark. Oh, he was, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. I, I was curious if you uh, had any insight on his political opponents here. Um, I know you referenced kind of, uh, you know, not really being worried about if there is a, you know, a potential kind of caretaker figure to come in for the, you know, this regulatory moat of six months in between, um, you know, the position and the candidacy. Um, but can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, the uh, potential opponents in this upcoming race um, and, and maybe about the political uh, party that might actually try to, um, you know, maybe do something during that, that time where he uh, is not, is not there. Yeah, for sure. So, so what's funny is that um, um, <laughs> if you ask most Salvadorians who else is running for, for the president, see uh, in El Salvador they won't be able to tell you they don't know the candidates you know um, namely because anybody who has had any clout in, in the world of politics and who is uh, an opponent or, or an opposing figure to Bukele has basically seen the writing on the wall and they're like yeah not this time I'm not, I'm not going to stake my entire reputation and I'm not going to waste my money and time because this is a, this is a fruitless endeavor. Right. Um, and again, um, you know, uh, the, the current opposition uh, is made of a, uh, an amalgamation of, uh, of disgruntled former um, basically uh um, and, and government, lifetime government employees who have lost their privilege and access and power, and they're offering no proposition. Their proposition is to be in opposition of everything the current government is doing. And as a voter, you know that that's not going to really resonate with anybody. Um, you know, <clears throat> it is tough even when you have a message. A message of proposition. Let's not even look too far down the uh, line of events here. Millet in Argentina only garnered thirty percent of the vote, and and he had basically a campaign that attacked the entire reason why Argentina is in the mess they are in, and offered solutions. And even with that, voters only gave them 30%, right? So it is like winning voters is difficult, you know, unless you cheat. <laughs> so so then these folks don't have anything other than we're in opposition. And um, and, and like it or not, uh, Bukele not only does have an unfinished plan, Cuscatlan, but that he's working towards, but he, but he can also say, and I fixed crime. And I fixed the security issue, right? So, so not only do they not know the candidates, do they not know their platform or what they stand for? You know, they they also remember the betrayals, the corruption. Now, the main two parties in El Salvador, other than New Ideas, is the uh, the alliance, the Republican. Nationalist Alliance, ARENA. And um, they have a very, very troubled past. Their founder, uh, Roberto Dawison, uh, was also the creator of the Salvadorian death squads who murdered um, a very important figure in Salvadorian history, uh, Monsignor uh, Romero, who has actually been canonized as a saint of uh, who represents uh, Latin America and the poor, right? So not only that, you know, that was a party of the oligarchs and they really did not do anything for the population, but um, but actually create fear, division. And, um, and, and so they don't really um, remember anything. Their, their candidate right now, they make fun of him because they don't know his name. Nobody remembers his name. They call him Ernesto. They call him Soilocleto. They really don't know who he is. And, um, and, and so then um, 
So there's that, there's their dark past. And then there's the FMLN, the Front of National Liberation, um, which is the party that Bukele started in. And, um, and see, he left that party. Actually, he didn't leave that party, he got kicked out. He got kicked out for calling out corruption in that party. He said, I, I, can, I can no longer stand by witnessing the level of corruption within the party that swore to fight for, cor against corruption and for the benefit of the common Salvadorian. So when he began to, to do that, the, the party felt that he was doing a lot of these things because he wanted to position himself as a next presidential candidate. So that they, they devised some sort of scandal against them and, and ended up kicking him out of the party. And that's where he formed the new party, new ideas. And eventually, you know, he ran for president um, and everything else is history, right? That, that party by Salvadorians is remembered as the, the party of betrayal, the party that betrayed all of their uh, principles and that said that stood for the poor. And essentially in two terms, in 10-year period, ended up doing the same thing, if not worse, uh, than the National Republic Alliance by uh, embezzling a bunch of money, stealing a bunch of money, and um, and really not doing it very many public works. Uh, an example is just the recently opened um, um, hydroelectric dam that was supposedly started by not even the, the two previous uh, National Front uh, Liberation um, part, uh, governments by, by the National Republic Alliance Party, and then these two FMLN terms didn't do anything with it. So Bukele came in and said, "Okay, fine, I'll finish it. I'll, I'll do it better." And and now they're producing electricity. So you know, all these things are very symbolic, not only for the for the narrative that Bukele wants to put forward, economic and energy independence. Maybe you can plug some miners into that dam. Um, but also very symbolic because he took what was once a monument to corruption by an unfinished public works and infrastructure project into a functional um, electro, a hydroelectrical dam, right? And so, so then uh, Chino Flores is the candidate for the FMLN, and um, and he like the. I mean, the, the guy cites the horoscope, uh, like, he, he's just ridiculous. I mean, very esoteric in, in a very, very bad way that doesn't even make sense. And, um, and he just um, has no appeal. Um, they're going to be obliter obliterated. Like, the, the polls have them so low. And, and really, Bukele is in the 90%, which is just astonishing. I've never seen anything like it anywhere in the world. I mean, unless there's some sort of corruption, but you walk anywhere in San Salvador and everywhere else in the country, you ask the average Salvadoran, and they really do feel like things are, in a good, are going in the right direction. And so it's, it all starts to make sense, right? Yeah, so pretty much there is no <laughs> viable path that anyone else is going to, you know, come out ahead in the short foul play or Bukele, like, intentionally, like, knighting somebody and passing the reins. Well, yeah. So this is kind of where my other concern comes in. Um. Unless they cheat him out, and I'll just point out that the the, the current the current uh, Supreme Electoral Tribunal, which is the body, it's supposed to be a nonpartisan, non-governmental body that is in charge of making sure that the elections are fair and you know just. Unless they do something 
um, yeah, there's no viable alternative for other than a Bukele victory. However, if we just want to back up to, to that, this current body of the Supreme Electoral Tribunal is made up of five magistrates who were appointed by previous governments and who were the five magistrates that invalidated not once but twice the registration of Bukele's candidacy last time around. These five magistrates blocked them last time. They have the power. Now, they've been instructed by, by the Supreme Court to accept Bukele's registration, provided that he meets the criteria. But it's within their purview to actually, you know, uh, either accept or deny that, that registration. And this is where I think a, a world of possibilities open, open themselves up in terms of like unacceptable registration or not, you know, they, they could make anything up and say, well, no, this is not in order or whatever and throw it out and, and block them. And, and the, 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 I guess the urgency around that is that, you know, he only has until the 26th to make sure that everything's in order. I think he gets a, a little bit more time after that. Like I think Twenty-six by the twenty-six, he has to get his documents of registration in. I think that there's a period upon which, if they find something, they can resubmit, um, in order to um, to like fix anything, right? Uh, that might be out of order. But that that's kind of where my fear comes in. Is where uh, I feel like you know they could pull any shenanigans and and disqualify him because these people have not traditionally been um, very fair to, to Bukele. So, you know, uh, it, it, to me, that's, that's an area of concern. Uh, I don't know if it's valid or not, but I would say if these are the same folks that blocked them last time, I think it, it, it's worth a pause. It, and, um, and so, so then I, I, that, that's kind of where it makes me uneasy. Um, and, um, and yeah, we'll 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 see where where that goes. A lot of people are not worried for a couple of reasons. I think that if they for some reason disqualified him, you know, and his his team is a well prepared team. I don't think they will miss dotting an I or crossing a T. So I think all all of those things are going to be in order. But if for some reason there is. Um, uh, any air of Bukele not being accepted as a candidate. This is my other concern. I think you will see massive manifestations of the population, uh, maybe some public unrest, um, maybe some public show of support peacefully, maybe, right? So where where it is visibly obvious that people are with him. But, but I think like when these five magistrates have almost the power to create a situation and that's where some of my concerns lie as well. Okay. So, you know, I think we, we got a hard stop in like seven minutes. So I think this is probably a good, thing to just hash out and end that but um like hypothetically he could step down and then they could stonewall him on his application and at that point he's he's out like he he just can't walk back into the presidency to finish the rest of this term and like there would be no way to really deal with that and on the flip side let's say he does register but doesn't step down and tries to wait until the end of November, like that could potentially be a similar situation where they argue he didn't step down in time and invalidate his registration because of that. That is a possibility. Again, like I think it's uh, depending on the interpretation of these magistrates, 
And so that's kind of like a lot of the unknowns, you know, and I think it'll become a little bit more clear tomorrow when he finally registers, right? But yeah, I, I, I don't see how he steps down. He is back on the presidency, maybe to finish out. And maybe, maybe that is even a possibility where he steps down and fin- finishes out. But if new ideas, they elected him as the uh, candidate, they don't have like a like a a replacement candidate. Then new ideas will not have a candidate, uh, and Salvadorians will be stuck with making basically two choices of the same choices that they had uh, chosen before, which did not lead them to to any. Um, to anything fruitful, right? To the emergence of the gangs, uh, the empowerment of the gangs, right? So, um, and then, and then, yeah. Lastly, I think that um, uh, if if he doesn't step down by November, or or if he steps down by November thirtieth, you know, these magistrates could interpret that whole situation to be um, invalidate, like as an invalid registration because he wasn't stepped down. Again, all these things are things that we don't know. And this is why what happens in the next few days, possibly a few weeks, is going to be really interesting. I think I think it's going to, I think, you know, I wrote about this uh, a year ago, but as it gets more and closer and closer, it has even more significance. And, um, and also, you know, as Bitcoiners, we shouldn't even be surprised, right? Like, and so having space like this is good because I think it, it just informs us and, and uh, you know, about the things that may happen. At the same time, if, if everything goes according to plan, he'll be reelected and, you know, uh, there'll be a, a have-in party or happening party or half-in party uh, in, uh, in April 2024 and, and nobody will know any better. Mm-hmm. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for coming on and uh, spending the time with us going through everything. And just thanks in general for like all the stuff you put together covering what's going on in El Salvador. You are like one of the only sources of information I'm aware of that actually gives like a deep, like on the ground type breadth to things and not just little MSN sound bites or reinforcing what people want to hear. So like, really, thanks a lot. Thanks, Shinobi. No, I do appreciate, like, and this is why I started writing is because I felt that at least in English speaking media, there was very few people writing with, uh, uh, you know, some depth in in the country. And, uh, you know, um, you often hear about people and, and this is cool, too. You know, it's like, hey, yo, I went down to El Salvador and like, uh, let's hook up, you know, like, there's some good surfing waves. I know what's going on. i have a few buddies and yeah, things are good. Like that's, that's cool. But there's a lot more shit that that's going on. And, and like, when you go down there, like, don't just hang out with Bitcoiners, like go and make the time to like meet some people, some, some locals, get the local perspective to, to really understand that is like, it's not, it's not just all about surfing in El Sante. It's, it's, there's, a level of complexity that that happens and yes bitcoin doesn't care who is in government at the, at the end and i think that if anything if all shit goes sideways for bukele and nuevas ideas i think that what el salvador has in terms of bitcoin the culture that it's there now is um here to stay and so that's kind of uh, reassuring Well said. Well, I guess uh, want to wind this out, Chris. Yeah, th- I'll, I'm going to echo what Shinobi said, Jamie, and I really appreciate your insights and always look forward to your articles and just commentary on the El Salvador situation. Um, yeah, I guess the last thing is uh, hoping to see everyone at Bitcoin 2024 next summer in Nashville. You can use the code BM Live to get save some sats on your tickets on the website. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Shinobi, I don't know when's the next time we're doing Twitter spaces, probably next week or later this week. If you've got anything else. Uh, I think you, me and Mark need to 
bounce that back and forth. But yeah, next week at the the latest, we want to get back in the, the groove with that. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Make sure to check out all our awesome content from Bitcoin Amsterdam. We're still uploading as fast as we can to get all the talks out. Should be done hopefully by the tail end of next week. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, Jamie. Thanks so much, Mark and Shinobi. And we'll catch you guys in the next one. Have a good one, everyone. Thank you, Miami, for the last three years in this amazing city. The whole world shut down, but Miami welcomed us with open arms. We want to show Bitcoin to the whole world. We are taking the conference on the road to set the stage for Bitcoin in a new city. Nashville. Bitcoin 2024 is coming to Nashville in Tennessee. A city that is known as a music and freedom city. Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville from July 25th to 27th.